Hello everyone, my name is Hector Morales and welcome to another Proyecto Siembra podcast. Here, we like to talk about everything related to Latinx. This week, we like to talk to you about DACA. With that said, let's get started. Caminando, sembrando ley, caminando por el mundo del rey, toda la cosa que he encontrado, todo el amor obsesionado, vida por la línea de la costa, escucho la belleza de tu risa, nunca jamás te dejo de mi vista, siempre listo, siempre dispuesta, sin parar, sin parar, parar, sin parar, sin parar, parar, sembrando el amor sin parar. Hi guys, my name is Hector Morales. I'm going to be your host for today. We're going to talk about DACA or Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. With me, we have some DACA recipients that are also part of Proyecto Siembra. Hi guys, my name is Sandy Rivera and like Hector said, I am a DACA recipient. Hello everyone, my name is Andrea Silva Flores and I'm also a DACA recipient. Awesome. So we're just going to go right to it, straight to the facts. Uh, President Obama in 2012 created um, DACA, which is an executive action that pretty much helps the youth. Uh, it gives us protection for two years, uh, but you have to um, every, and you have to apply for that every two years. Okay. Uh, before now, some things are changing. That's why we're talking about it today. And um, basically, you have to have a clean record, go to school, high school, finish high school, um, plan on going to college, uh, or in the army somehow. Uh, I'm, I'm going to talk, I'm going to give it to my friends so uh, we can start talking about it. Uh, guys, can you tell me your first, first experience of when you learn about DACA? Where were you? How was that news to you? So I guess we'll start with Sandy. All right. So we're starting with me. Um, I first learned about DACA back in 2012 when Obama was basically fed up with the House and with every other part of legislation and government. And he planned to sign this executive action. It was at the time when, you know, the president gets up on the screen in that fancy room and he talks about what he plans to do. So I was, um, 2012, I was at home. He, it was expected for him to start talking about it and for, to come to a decision on what he was going to do as far as some type of immigration reform. And his choice was DACA. So I was in high school at this time. And then when this happened, I, honestly felt a big weight taken off my shoulders because I was brought to this country by my parents with the goal of them giving me not only a better life, but also a chance, um, an opportunity at receiving an education that I wouldn't have received in Matamoros, Tamaulipas, Mexico, which is where I'm from, which is right on the border. And it's kind of crazy around that area. But um, so, yeah, so I was relieved and I was like, wow, there's somehow going to be a way for me to attend college and for me to pursue my dreams of going to college and becoming an educator here in the United States. I'll pass it along to Andrea so she can share how she felt and how she found out about it. So for me, it was kind of similar. Um, the only 
differences is when I found out um, I was actually with my aunt. I was helping her out. It was like my summer job. And I was vacuuming and my mom called me and she was like, Andrea, have you seen the news? And I was like, no, I don't have the time. But she basically um, just went in and told me what it was. And I just remember like the joy that I had because of, at this time I was a sophomore going into a junior year. And, you know, it's the time that everyone starts thinking about driving and getting uh scholarships and going into college, like all these ideas. And at that time I was really, really down because I remember like all my friends were starting to drive, getting their licenses and all these things that I felt like I wasn't going to be able to do. And they kept on asking me, well, why aren't you driving? Why aren't you doing this? And I was just like, well, had to come up with a uh, little lies because at that time I felt like I had to hide myself from my friends because I thought, They were not going to understand me. Um, so I was really content to find out the great news. Um, and yeah, it just went from there. Okay. Um, I guess for me, I actually didn't even know that Obama was going to announce it that day. I just came from a 10 hour shift. Um, I uh, worked three jobs um, because I was paying for college. I was starting to pay for college. Um, As you know, uh, some governor in Indiana decided to, hey, we're gonna make the undocumented uh, youth pay for stuff more than they have to. And that's why uh, right now, basically, uh, undocumented people cannot afford to go to college, uh, which is fucked up and I think it's stupid. But um, anyways, um, I came from work, uh, working, 10 hour shift and my mom sits me down and she's like uh, Mijo, uh, you're gonna be able to go to school work one job and be a normal kid, whatever that means and I honestly started crying because um, before that it was like hide yourself like you said Andrea uh, don't uh, I like I told my friends hey, I cannot drive until I'm 18 because that's how Mexico works, you know? And my parents want to keep that. And I'm like, you know, be that kid, be smarter, be one step ahead of everyone else because nobody is gonna find out that you're undocumented that way. They're always gonna think that, hey, he's smarter, he got this. And, um, and sometimes it's like, just don't say stuff about you. Don't even talk to that person because that person uh, has friends His dad is a cop or something like that. And I think that's kind of what stopped me too because I wanted to do sports. I wanted to do more stuff. But because that there's always, you know, competition between kids, I didn't want to risk it. And therefore, I didn't want to uh, put myself in that. Um, at some point, I did. And it did backfire on me because all the kids at one point turned on me because, hey, why is this Mexican um, better than us? Uh, we don't want him here. So I just, you know what? I just dropped it. Um, I kept doing something else. But yeah, I, I, that day, literally, I started crying. My mom hugged me. Um, and not just me, my other brother, he is blind. Uh, he, he can literally put a computer back together. Um, put it apart and put it back together and I realized at that moment that he was gonna be someone in life and till this day he's putting back computers together he's um, making software coding 
and he's blind. So, yeah. Uh, I guess my other question is going to be, um, what has DACA done for you? And how do you think DACA um, individuals like ourselves have been benefited? And how do you see the community? Have we really benefited from there? Uh, is our community better because of that? I'll jump, uh, I'll give it to Sandy to talk about that. Yeah, so I feel like we can all agree um, when we say that the day DACA was announced, it definitely changed our life forever. Um, it's very, our life is very different than how it was before. So it was very much a life changing moment. We used to be the ones to assimilate to the culture in this country. We used to be the ones to hide who we really were in fear of not knowing who to trust, not knowing who we could confide in, you know, because we never knew at one moment someone can turn on us and get like us sent back to where we came from, you know, as, as harsh as that sounds, as horrible and as that sounds, it's the reality of things. Like we never knew because we're such a vulnerable population or vulnerable community. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of people overlook, but I can say that DACA has definitely given me privileges that I never thought I could have, but privileges that I know that I have so that I can use them for good, not privileges that I overlook and just simply like, don't hold myself accountable to, if that makes any sense, you know, like I know I have this privilege, but I'm going to use it for the greater good to not only advance myself, but also advance my community. Um, because of DACA, I was able to attend college, you know, back in middle school, I tried to apply for 21st century scholars here in Indiana. If you know, 21st century scholars, they pay for your tuition. If you attend a Indiana college, but you have to stay on top of your grades. You have to stay on top of things. But because I didn't have in middle school, this is when I found out I did not have a social security number, which at the time I did not have any idea what it was, you know, until I asked my mother and she was like, Mija, tu no tienes uno. you know, that's when it first hit me that like I was legit, like an undocumented immigrant, you know, because it's something that I hid from myself in fear something I pushed off, something I hid in the shadows just because I, you never know who you're around, you know? So because of that, I, DACA, because of DACA, I was able to go to college. You know, I was able to apply for colleges because I had that social, because I had that opportunity. But just because I had that opportunity doesn't mean that I didn't have hardships or obstacles that I had to face. Um, although I had DACA, DACA recipients can't get federal aid from the government to pay for their college tuition or their college expenses. They can't get none of that. So I, my first two years, I busted my butt working two to three jobs on top of my 18 credit hours. I was working two or three jobs, you know, 50 plus hours to make ends meet for myself. You know, like I was, I was busting my butt, but at the same time, I knew that everything I was busting my butt off for was going to pay off, you know? And 
my first two years were that way. Like I didn't have time for myself. I just had time for school and for work because work was paying for school and school was the reason that I was being able to work, you know, because like with DACA, like it's either one thing or the other. You can't just have an education and not work, you know, like stuff like that. Like you, it's one thing or like, it's both things working at the same time. So, um, so yeah, I was just working a lot and luckily my going into my junior that summer going into my junior year I found resources I found a great group of people I found a great group a uh, great mentor which I'll mention right now because Grisel Barajas she paid a big part to my journey and to me becoming the woman that I am today because she pushed me like she saw that fire in me and that opened up who I am now so I feel like I have benefited for that because I was able to accomplish the dream that my parents brought me to this country for to receive that education to be able to get a driver's license to be able to apply for a job to really build that worth work ethic and that character that like just stability that I wouldn't have had had I not had this opportunity. And because of this, I'm able to contribute to the pool of people who were once students, Latin, Latinx students, right? And are now Latinx professionals that are growing that pool, that are showing all these racist people, all these people that discriminate against our community, all these people that expect less of us, all those people, they're showing them that we can become professionals and we can make something out of ourselves. So I definitely think that through this opportunity, we're guessing our community, but we also have to be mindful and we also have to keep in mind that there is so much more work to be done. We need immigration reform to like another extent, like it should not stop at DACA students. Like it should not stop at that. We need immigration reform for our parents. We need for our community. You know, we need a pathway to citizenship and DACA is not the only community that deserves like, you know, that, that opportunity. Awesome. Yeah. Like you said, DACA is not something that was given to us. Once again, we always try to tell people that in Proyecto Siembra, in other organizations. Uh, DACA was given to us because we fought for it. How? Those kids that um, got out and with their graduation cap and gown went and protested, they got detained, and the president was fed up with that. He was like, you know what? I can't deal with this anymore. Let's do something. And But then again, it was just because students activism work uh, we're, which we're not saying at least I'm not saying um, go out uh, and do uh, f protest I'm saying um, be mindful that how you got here who you are and if you can that's good go and do the activism work um, but there's so much more than um, going and screaming and fighting for that which that I did that at one point But at the same time, it's like that is not the only road that that, that we can go. Right now, our least Proyecto Siembra is focused on professionals. And what I mean with professionals is not just the educated, but 
um, the people that go to college, it's also the people that create business. Hey, how can we work together to better ourselves? Because remember, after if we ever, when we get uh, something, a paper that says we're, you know, illegal, uh, legal, sorry, if we're legal uh, at one point, uh, there's still gonna be, you know, people that need financial stability and know how to apply for a grant, people that need to know how to balance their uh, checking account, how to pay taxes, and all the stuff which Proyecto Siembra, I believe, has those people to teach people how to do, uh, the youth, most of all. Andrea, I want to go with you. Uh, tell me, um, how has DACA benefit you uh, and in which ways has it benefit you? Um, so for me, my, I don't want, I don't like to use the word privilege, um, but I just haven't gone through some things that a lot of people that I know who are DACA recipients or just undocumented have gone through. Um, when I migrated to the United States, um, I was actually part of the um, visa that typically a lot of the northern states in Mexico get to um, obtain. Um, as soon as you're born, you get that visa. So for my family, it has been a thing that generations after generations um, is just normal to get and obtain. Um, so we moved here because my dad had just came to visit and he found out about the education um, system and how they deal with um, special needs children. My brother is a special needs kid who is such a lovely kid who wants to do so much for the community. Um, I recently found out that he wants to help out the homeless people. Um, so it's really cute to find out that all my parents' sacrifices to leave their families behind for my brother's happiness has made a great person. Um, unfortunately, throughout that process, um, I, being the older kid, and I had to go through my own, um, how do you say, like own obstacles. Um, so when I got here, I didn't know the language, of course, and it was just a process of not being better, but always pushing myself to be better um, for myself, not for anyone else, for myself. Um, once I got to high school and I started realizing that a lot of my friends were applying to college and getting scholarships and blah, 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 blah. I was doing all that. I was getting the scholarships. I had five scholarships grand up. Um, I mean, lined up, I'm sorry. And from there, um, I was just really happy. I was like, I'm going to college. I'm going out of state. Um, and then until one of the advisors at my high school basically told me that I couldn't go to college or any other, like, do anything because I was undocumented. Um, remind you, I'm a senior, so I was about 17, 18 years old. So that's really, it's really, how can I say it? Mentally, it's really draining. It's really upsetting because I worked all my high school and middle school to get the best grades to be better so I can go to college and become better for not only my family, but the future of my brother because unfortunately his situation kind of also relies on me um but yeah so once I was 
told that I got really upset, but I was like, nah, I'm going to find a way. That's just who I am. I always find a way. And knowing that I had DACA, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure like there's other things I can do. More doors open up to me. So I'm going to go and see what I can do. Um, so once I graduated from high school, I was really upset because I was like, I'm not finding any money. How am I going to pay for this? Um, I went to my last resort was literally IUPY, which ended up being the school that I went to. And it was just sad. <laughs> but um, I get there and I'm still like, OK, well, I'm finally here. But how am I going to pay? I went to the financials office and they were really at the time. They didn't know what DACA was. I had to explain to advisors. I had to explain to people who are part of the administration offices at IUPY. They didn't know what I, um, DACA was. And they just made me feel like I didn't belong there, like I wasn't welcome. And I just felt really down. So like from there, that's where my depression came from. And it just messed me up. My grades went down. Again, I graduated high school with a 3.7. So I was always on top of my the list and everything. But having that mental um, mental health really affected me. So, yeah. And then from there, it's just been a long process of trying to finish up college um, due to the obstacles and trying to get the money, having to work. And thankfully, I've been blessed with my parents that they have helped me throughout it. But due to the fact, again, that I don't get any financial support, um, I had to find my own ways. I had to take two to three years off school. So like I'm a little bit behind, but I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to make it. I'm going to graduate because that's what I been working for. And my parents have been working for because, yes, they came here for my brother's health and happiness. But I also feel like I, I need to give them back something that they left their family for. So something that's going to be worth it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for um, touching on that. Um, we all have stories. Uh, when I came to uh, Indianapolis when I was 10, 10, 11 years old, um, I didn't know the language whatsoever. Uh, the teachers behind uh, my back called me Wetback. It was uh, Greenville, Hancock County, which is really conservative, a really conservative town. So um, the kids don't want to be your friends. Why? Because you look different than than they are. And that, uh, to tell you the truth, like the first three months, I wanted to go back. I wanted to go back to my country, but you simply can't because there's no nothing for you there anymore. And what you need to do is just keep going. Uh, don't tell your parents because, hey, they also don't speak English. And I felt like there was nothing they can do. So just push through it. Just push through it. And that's what I did. You know what? Uh, you have to be the smarter in the room. You have to be, uh, you were, You have to work extra hard to get uh, half the way that um, everybody else are going to. Um Eventually, I graduated. Eventually, I went to uh, college. But it's definitely a struggle just because uh, how are you going to pay for that? There's You have to do three jobs and you're falling behind on this uh, class because, well, you fell asleep on that class and you forgot about it. So, yeah, I totally get it. It's, it's definitely difficult. 
but that's uh and then again going back to mental health like you said is like to this day i have to like whenever i want to go to a restaurant or a quick fast food uh, place i have to look at the menu before i go because i always remember that when i went with my family it's like they were looking at the food and dile que quiero esto lo quiero así and that, that was so draining for you to tell them and if you didn't get the the, the order correct it was on you and go back and tell them that I want it like this. And not your parent, not only your parents were mad at you, but the customer, because you were um, the worker, sorry, because you were the one uh, placing the order and you fucked it up. So, I mean, little things like that. It's like less simple as a food order that's so draining for a kid that's 13, 14 years old. Uh, to know how to order in English, uh, tell your parents in Spanish. Uh, it's just training, and I totally get it. And things like that, whenever you go to to doctor, it's like, tell the doctor this, how you feel. And if you mess up, they might give you the wrong prescription. So it's like, what you do there, you know? But I guess we we have, we are the people that we are, we are Proyecto Siema because the things that we went through. Um, I'm not going to say that it was easy because it was definitely tough. But I'm not going to say that it was hard, too, because I'm one of those privileged people that was able to afford college. Even though I had three jobs and I busted my ass, I made it. I look back and I see some of my friends that I started college with, they're in Mexico now. Hey, I couldn't make it. I couldn't pay for it. And they had DACA. I look, one of my friends that went to high school with me, the mom decided to go back to her country because, because the mom wasn't making enough money to pay for the kids' college. So those are little things, you know. So at this moment, I think I'm going to give it to Sandy um, and we can go from there. I definitely think we should, um, now that we've talked about our experiences, we should talk about our involvement within the movement of fighting for the rights of having DACA or fighting for the undocumented community. You know, just seeing like where we have gone with that and what we have used as fuel to our fire within standing up for ourselves. So like, I'll just start with me. I feel like I have been at both extremes. I've been at the extreme where I have been at the front lines. I've been at protests. I've been at rallies. Like I spoke at the Women's March here in Indianapolis, in Indiana, a red state, you know, like I spoke on behalf of DACA recipients, just telling my story and just giving insight to those who didn't know what DACA was and just the situations and the journeys that, you know, I have experienced, but I know I can speak for many. Like when I say like we've experienced very different things, but at the same time, we all have the same thing in common and that's having deferred action for childhood arrivals. You know, those of us who are impacted by that. So yeah, I've been at the front lines, been in rallies, all of that, but now that I've graduated, um, that I have to be in my profession. And as an educator, I have taken the route of 
yes, I still have that fire within me of I'm going to go to a rally or I'm going to go to a protest and I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to shout all the chants. I'm going to do all that. But at the same time, I know that I have this passion within my field as an educator where I know that these kids are taking everything in that I'm telling them because they're little sponges. As we know, kids take that that information retain that information because they're little sponges you know when you're young your brain is just all over the place and everything that you learn as you're young you take as you grow older you know as in my experience in the school of education that i went to a lot of my peers came up with the because the school of education fortunately were like a new wave of like progressive and more accepting and radical thinkers that like we, a lot of my peers would say like, oh, I grew up in a school where I didn't have my diversity. These topics weren't talked about. These topics were overlooked, but now in the school of ed, it's a different story. You know, like I want to build my students to be able to think that way, to be accepting, to be mindful, to be loving, to be compassionate, which is more of what this world needs, but at a young age. You know, so that's why I have devoted myself like as much as I love being out there and the front lines, there have been circumstances that have pushed me back, but pushed me back into the direction of being more passionate about my, my career as an educator, as not only being the teacher who is so excited about her classroom, is so excited about teaching the curriculum, all the important core topics that the students need. But I also want to teach them things that they will not only learn within the four walls of the classroom and use there, but I want to teach them things that they'll learn within those four walls and take out into the world to be able to use, to be street smart, to be book smart as well, you know, because I want my students to be the change, to cause that chain reaction that we so desperately need in these very moments, you know, like I want my students to be everything that we are like years back, just, just now becoming, but I want them to be that at a young age. And I want them to see that opportunity that you can be just as successful in being passionate about going against injustices, being passionate about social justice, just as you can be successful in picking your career choice or whatever you want to be, you know, like I want my students to be those kiddos. Like I want, because honestly, right now in this moment that we're living in, it's the younger generations that are taking charge, the younger generations that are pushing for that change that is going to come. It is going to come because we all play very vital roles. Just as much as the people who are on the front lines are important, the people who are in their communities, are in their institutions, are in their jobs, their businesses, who are having those simple conversations that are changing the minds of others, they're just as important. We all play a role in this game. And that's what it is. Unfortunately, it's a game, you know, because we don't control the government, but we are the people. And we are the people. And because we are the people, we all play vital roles and every single role is necessary and every single role is important. So hopefully I hope to create those students that play those different roles, but know that 
every single role correlates and every single role is important. Thank you, Sandy. I'm going to go now with Andrea. Um, Future-wise, um, community-wise, how have you helped the Hispanic community in Indianapolis? And what are some of the struggles, too, that the Hispanic community faces right now? Um, so... One of the breaks that I took, one of the breaks that I took, yeah, I came back and I was, it was around the time that Trump had just gained, gotten into office and he came out with the, we're revoking DACA. Um, I remember that day so well. I was in school and I found out and in my classes and I just remember like I was around one of my uh, Kelly school of business classes and it was full of white male and I just felt like wow I'm literally like in the cave of the wolf um when I knew that a lot of my classmates were Trump supported so I was just like wow so most of these classmates that I have right now have voted for me to get my dreams revoked um that's literally how I felt I was really down for like a whole week and again I had just came back from school so I was like really motivated beforehand And then that happened. So that was another tool in my mental health. Um, but around that time, I started to get more involved with the community. During this time, um, I came to an organization that was um, the Latino Student Association at IUPUI. And everyone was really like passionate about it because a lot of our friends and a lot of us were being affected. So around that time, um, myself and four others um, decided to come up with an organization at IUPUI for the undocumented community, which is now called DAU. I'm sorry, known as DAU. No, it's called Dreamers Alliance United as one. And we were so passionate when we made, when we made this um, reason being because we knew that IUPUI wasn't exposed to this topic. So we knew that this organization was going to bring a lot of undocumented students, not just Latinos, but undocumented, because when we talk about undocumented, it involves a lot of um, foreigners. I'm sorry. Yeah. Y'all know the word. I'm sorry. That's not, it's not our first language. But um, yeah, so we were really passionate because we knew we could make a change in, in our, not just our campus, but the community. So yeah, that's how I started. And then I got involved with uh, the Latino Student Association and we just went along with just doing stuff. So then now years have passed. Um, we finally got like DACA was going to be able to renew, like all the DACA re recipients were going to be able to renew. So like life just kept on going again. And then now with Proyecto Siembra, I still have the same passions, but it's a little bit different just because I have grown up. I have seen that Yes, I'm undocumented. I am DACA recipient. And for that reason, I can't be at the front line because I'm not going to put my parents' dreams, my dreams, and my brother's dreams, just let it go to waste. Um, it's not just me who I depend on, it's my parents. And I don't know, I'm just scared. I do feel like... Um, I, I mean, I've gone out. I'm not saying I haven't. <laughs> I have gone out to protest and I've been there supporting and I just undocumented community with, with the Black um, Black Lives Matter 
movement as well. I like it, but at the same time, I got to be aware that what could happen. I'm always thinking what could happen. I don't want to risk my my future just because I was angry. Um, so yeah, that's just been my thing. But moving forward, I believe that the change starts with us and the youth. Right now, as we're still youth because we're the young adults, but from us, we can be the ones to mentor and guide the younger generations to let them know like, hey, this is what you want to do. I support you, but also know the risk. Also know your resources. And it's just kind of like Sandy said, like we know that we can make a difference by being in the back and helping these people. If they want to help out and be in the front, go ahead. I support you, but just be mindful that not everyone feels the same way um, for the movements. Thank you. I, th I think uh, somehow we're, we're, we think we're not in the forefronts of everything. But if you think about it, we we are in the forefronts when you're the only one, the only Hispanic in that classroom. Because like you're not, you speak for everyone. Because that's how white people have taught, uh, at least taught me. How is this in your country? Uh, what do you guys do then? And I've learned to be the voice. You know what? Not all of us are like this. Some of us do this. No, Cinco de Mayo is not our Independence Day. You know, it's like, it, it, it's it, it's draining just because you always have to be conscious that you represent your people and you have to correct stuff. And cuidado if you are not correct because the other Hispanics are going to come for you. And I'm like, shit, you know what? What happened to that? You know, sticking together, and that's what I'm 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 seeing it more right now, just because of the climate is like, no, you you need to fight with us. I'm like, I am fighting with you, just another way. Mm, you know, I'm I'm teaching people uh, how to how to do finance so they can do they open a freaking job. So they can hire more Hispanic people. I, I, I sometimes I'm gonna go with you to a rally, and sometimes I'm not gonna be able to because I might get fired. If I don't, if I get fired from my job, are you gonna pay my bills? You know, it's like shit. What, what do I have to do to to impress you? You don't pay my bills. You're not my wife. You're not my husband. You know, what do I have to do to show you that I'm in the fight with you? But going back, I guess we just need to be, um, I'm just going to tell my, 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 the people that are listening is, you know, you fight this fight however you think it's fit, because your way is not going to be the other people's way. And people are going to bitch and moan and, uh, and say whatever the fuck they want. But at the end of the day, you know what? You do you. You do you because this is the same fight that we're fighting for. And if they don't like how we're fighting, then you can move on. Don't talk to me and let me do me. So from what I'm hearing, I know that we can all agree that we have all evolved. 
we've all changed our approach and our views, not in a way that we've digressed back, not in a way that we've gotten back, but we just know the way that we want to face these injustices and these circumstances that we're placed against, you know, and there's nothing wrong with evolving. There's nothing wrong with changing every so often, you know, that's the only constant in life is change, you know? So I feel like we can, like I said, we can all agree that we've evolved and we've changed our ways, you know, but we've remained passionate and we have that end goal. You know, we have that end goal of continuing to fight for our community, not just the DACA community, the undocumented community, all those impacted, but outside of our communities as well. You know, like Jaria mentioned, the Black Lives Matter community, like every community that faces an injustice, we know that we are there to support. And the like Factor said, in the way that's best fit for us. You know, and the best way that we can navigate it and not necessarily feel comfortable because, as you know, the best things are found outside of our comfort zones. And that's how we we grow and we change, you know, but we navigate this in a way that we know, you know, like I can do this. I can be physically and mentally okay if I do this. Now, you don't want to exhaust yourself. You don't want to burn yourself out and doing something that's way beyond, you know? So I feel like we can all agree with that. And I am very thankful of everyone for sharing their experiences, their journeys, because just as much as they are different, the beauty of it is that at the root of it all is we are here for the same cause. We are here for the same reason, the same goal, the same dream, you know? And now, unfortunately, with this administration, things have changed. Recently, President Donald Trump, it's no longer Obama, it's Trump, has made changes to this legislation, to this executive order of DACA. You know, he's changed things in the past few days. Um, and I'm going to let Hector, um, expand on these changes that President Donald Trump has made. Okay, you guys. So basically, uh, the changes. Number one, um, basically, people that were new applicants are no longer available to apply at this moment. I hope that states or people come together to um, put a stop to that because it's not right. The Supreme Court said that it needed to be um, resended as it uh, as it was back in 2012. So we're gonna see why that happens. Meanwhile, people that renew their DACA were renewing their DACA can do so still. But here's the big change: they can only they can they have to renew every single year instead of every single two years. And how does that affect them? I feel like, at least for my DACA, when I, the last time I applied for it, it took about eight months to get to to me. Before it was about three or four months. Now it was eight. I know people that were waiting nine months or even a year. So if at some point your DACA expires, 
whenever you're you're you are applying every single year what do you do what do you tell your boss uh, i also know that for a fact that um Every single year you renew is going to be 495, maybe more eventually. There, there were people that were struggling getting that for two years. Now every single year, what's going to happen to them? And finally, uh, parole in place. I, I don't think it, with this climate, it's a good idea to go outside on parole in place. It has its benefits, but I've seen more of their cons right now. That I don't think it's a good idea to be putting yourself in danger. The only thing I can say that uh, that it's a positive on this is that we can still renew. But then again, it's going to be harder if you ever need help, and and if you're from the uh, if you're Mexican, just because we're not the consulate, they're always there to help as far as filing fees, the four ninety five. Uh, give us a uh, text message and we'll help you around. Um, it's time to for for other consulates to 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 be there for the people, whether they're to uh, there to do. Hey, do you need help? You're from Honduras, Guatemala. We're gonna help you, just like the Mexican consulate is doing. Thank you, Hector, for sharing that with us. Um, I definitely know that this just comes to show that no matter what status we may have or what decisions are made, there is always going to be uncertainty. But I feel that this uncertainty will continue to fuel us as it has always fueled us to contribute to this change and to this revolution that is going to happen, you know? And there's no better time. There's no better time. We're living through a pandemic we're living through the civil rights movement and we're living through the Great Depression all in one year. 2020 has been the year of excellence, clearly, but there's no better time, you know, like there's there's no better time to use all that uncertainty to help us contribute and figure something out, you know, cause that change for the future generations to come because we cannot let history continue to repeat itself over and over again. We we have to push away from this and we have to fight so that our kids, our grandkids, and anything after that don't have to deal with what we're dealing with right now. So thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Proyecto Siembra's podcast where we spoke about DACA, our experiences, our hardships, our obstacles, our successes, everything that we went through to become the people that we are today and that will continue to fuel us to evolve and who will we, we will be tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for joining us and just, just stay up to date with everything that goes on within the community. Um, I just always tell my friends who are not facing what I'm facing, we all face our own, um, obstacles and, and our, we have our own hit, uh, story, but once we unite, we can make a huge difference in our community. So thank you so much for joining us. Okay, guys, this was the podcast for 
uh, Proyecto Siembra, DACA, that was the theme. Uh, I would just like to let you guys um, know that our mentorship program is open. You can apply to it. If you're undocumented, if you have DACA, if you're a first-generation student, you can apply. We have several mentors that can help you um, with your path, whatever you're choosing to take. Um, just know that we're here for you. We're here to listen to you. And whatever you need, we're going to be there um, to guide you, to give you resources. If we don't know where, uh, where to get those resources, we're going to search with you because that's our mentorship program. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you have any questions, you can go to our proyectosiembra.org and see you next time.